You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into a new edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo playing host today. Jordan Schusterman is big-leaguing us. I have another assignment. I'm sure he will be back with us as soon as he is able. Uh, otherwise, uh, he may get Wally pipped out of a job. Uh, joining me, as always, is, of course, Jim Callis. We've got a lot to talk about, Jim, this week. We've got a lot of draft stuff to talk about that we're, that we're going to want to cover. And uh, we want to uh, really dig into the, the newest edition on Prospect Watch, which is uh, this year's top 30 international prospects list. Uh, I know that, Jim, this will help you in your international prospect fantasy draft that you have coming up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but no, the, the guy who really is all about this, of course, is our, our friend and colleague, Jesse Sanchez. And he is joining us right now uh, on the podcast to, to dig into this top 30. Jesse, welcome aboard. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad this uh, could work out and you had time to talk about this. And, uh, you know, Jim and I get so draft focused. Uh, we're always excited to see this list. Uh, and it's not just because of these are 30 blurbs that we don't have to write. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, talk a little bit about your process. I mean, we, we dig into that a little bit when we when we talk about you know the, the list and the draft stuff, but uh, about the, the process that you go through to to get this list together you spend a lot more time going to events and talking to people while seeing these guys i think than jim and i get the chance to do right right i guess it's um so the list that came out today you can argue it's probably a year or year and a half in the making and that's kind of so basically i'm already working on 2020 <laughs> starting now but uh so but i'm fortunate to get the opportunity to go to the Dominican Republic, go to showcases in Colombia or different places where these kids are, where these young prospects are. Um, you see them in action, touch base with, you know, their trainers, touch base with, with the players. And you kind of visit with a family. Um, in many ways, it's, it's, you know, me being a former team beat reporter, I cover the Rangers. This is my beat. So I tackle it the same way, you know, so you uncover, you know, uncover all stones you talk to as many people as you can um you know and like i tell different people out there i said i do not pretend to be a scout i'm not a scout i really value everything you guys do but i do have over 22 years as a reporter so i use those skills to you know uncover information and just get as an accurate reading on the landscape as i can and uh you know, so on a daily basis, I'm talking to people from the Dominican, Venezuela, Panama, Colombia, Nicaragua, um, all over the world, just trying to get a feel for who these kids are, what are people saying, um, and just really putting something together so fans can follow them at age 16 when they sign all the way through their minor league career and hopefully through the big league career. And what we're seeing now is, you know, with the Vlad Juniors, the Fernando Tatis Juniors, Eloy Jimenez, Juan Sotos, that they're these guys are making it to the big leagues three or four years after they sign. 
So, you know, it's, it's a good time to start paying attention to these international kids because one way or another, they're either going to help your favorite team or as in case with like Yohan Moncada, when the Red Sox traded him for, you know, Chris Sale, one way or another, these young guys are going to provide value to your, you know, your favorite team. Well, it's interesting, Jesse, too, because I think coming into the year, the top four prospects in our top 100 were Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., Eloy Jimenez, and Victor Robles. And, you know, we've had a very heavy international flavor at the top of those lists, so these guys are important. And and it was interesting to hear you talk about your process because I use almost the same terminology when people ask me or they'll, they'll talk about scouting players, and I tell people I'm not a scout, I'm a reporter. And it, it, and I think Jonathan, you know, is kind of the same way. I, I don't – when we do our list, I, I think we're trying to build – in a lot of ways, a consensus from what we're hearing, not, hey, I saw Andrew Vaughn look really good in person, so I'm going to bump him up the list. It's more of a consensus. But I can't tell you how many times I, I correct people when they're like, oh, you're a scout. I'm like, no, I'm a reporter who, who writes about scouting. But, but, but all that said, a guy I've been wanting to ask you about, Jesse, for a while, he's number one on your, your international top 30 that just went live today. And, you know, we're busy doing draft in minor leagues, so I don't delve into international stuff that often. I always tell people, well, Jesse's doing that. I, I don't know who's coming out necessarily ahead. But I've actually heard from fans and from teams who have been talking about Jason Dominguez, it, it seems like, for at least a year. I do our Yankees coverage for our top 30, so I'm looking forward to adding this guy. But tell us about Jason Dominguez, not, not just the, the tools and how good this guy can become, but how does he stack up against the typical – number one prospect on your international list because there's a lot of hype around this guy right so just a, a real short report on him you know Dominguez he's, he's a strong athletic he's a mature bodied kid you know I guess there's some people that dream he could be the first guy in the big leagues from this class even though he's just gonna you know just a 16 year old or going to be 16 year old when he signs you know he's a good swing he's strong from both sides of the plate you know, good bat control, all the things you want to see in a young prospect. And a lot of the conversations I've had around Dominguez, and, you know, it wasn't as much as debate because real, people really love this kid, love his ability, and, you know, really have high hopes for what he can do in the future. But as in, and it's the same thing on the domestic side, I think, but I know it's definitely prevalent on the international side, it's the projection and future tools because they're so young. I mean, given it's hard to, you know, scout and project for a 16 year old kid, but a lot of that is what comes into play on the international side. So the conversation that comes out is, do you evaluate and put value on the now tools on the now abilities that this kid is showing, or do you put more value on projectability on what he's going to be? And Dominguez is a guy who projects, you know, who he has now type of abilities. And when I talk to different people, they'll say, you know what, when Mike Trout came out, he had a similar body, you know, uh, Yoan Moncada, similar body that maybe they were a little bit older, they were 18 years old, but it's that kind of guy. I'm not comparing them that they're going to have the careers of Mike Trout, obviously, or Yoan Moncada. But the, what I'm kind of just really saying is they have the now bodies and Jason Dominguez has that now body that's going to play. And, uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see how, he stacks up, you know, in your Yankees prospects list, because I know a lot of people like his potential, but they've already liked what they've seen so far. And that's what really makes this kid kind of stand out. Like, 
he does, he's obviously has, you know, projectability, but what he can do with the plate now, what he can do in the field, what he can, how he can run and all the approach he showed in the batter's box, it's what's really impressed people. So I guess uh, if you wanted to go with the now tools, go with a, a player who can have an immediate impact is probably immediately going to show on top prospects list. This is Jason Dominguez. And that's what I heard, you know, talking to people from across the globe from, you know, the last year and a half. Jesse, that's a little bit in contrast to the guy you have number two on your list, right? Robert Poisson is more of a, the, maybe the prototype of what you think of, of, a, of an international 16 year old signee where you're dreaming a little bit more as opposed to, seeing things. Now, not that he doesn't show things now, but you have to kind of uh, really envision what he's going to look like when he fills out and, and some of those raw tools become a little more sharper. Yeah, you're exactly right, Jonathan. I mean, uh, Paswan, he is a lean guy. He's wiry. You know, he has a projectable, durable frame. You know, he has great tools. You know, they're undeniable. You know, he has this combination of speed and athleticism that really makes him a special type of international prospect. But as you said, you know, he's still, he leans a little bit more to the projectability, you know, the, the what's the future going to look like. But where he is now is pretty good too. I mean, there was a pretty good debate across international circles uh, between Passan and Dominguez as number one. And it kind of depended on, did you like the now tools or do you like the projectability? But you can almost say one guy's one and the other guy's one A because they were very close. I think Passan is, you know, someone people are going to pay attention to. I think they people have heard the name before, but now that he's on our list, now that you can see video of him, you know, when he signed with the club, you're going to be able to track him and just see what the hype is all about. So, you know, Passan is a definitely an interesting prospect. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot to like there. Uh, I wanted to follow up on that because, you know, you see the top two guys, you got an outfielder and a shortstop and, I, and, and I'm looking at the list. And the first pitcher doesn't show up until number 16. And unless I counted wrong, and I often do, it's only six out of the 30 are, are pitchers. Is this just a, a down year for, for pitching? Is this kind of more, more par for the course? Uh, what, you know, what's your take on, on the sort of heavy uh, sort of uh, bent towards position players in this class? So first, let me kind of break down the position. So there's going to be – there are 13 infielders nine outfielders, six pitchers, and two catchers. And it's funny, the actual pitchers is actually a high number. It's not, it's rarely that high. And a lot of times is what happens is, you know, talking to clubs, they'll say, um, we can sign a guy later on at 17, at 18. You know, these are, you know, bullpen type of arms and uh, they're just readily available on the international market. So when, a class like this, when you have six guys who, you know, crack the top 30, that just speaks to their potential as a starter. As a, you know, these guys are just kind of a cut above of what happens in the past because traditionally um, the shortstops are the most coveted. The center fielders are the most coveted. Even if you have a, if you have a catcher who can run, who can defend and, and do all those things now and in the future, sometimes those are more coveted than the pitchers just because the pitches are more available. But I think having six just says the type of quality these guys have and the kind of projectability these young pitchers have that, you know, the industry believes these guys have the stuff to be starters. And uh, 
you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they play out, whether they stay in, you know, they develop as starters or they move to the bullpen and, and become uh, arms back there. Jesse, we get asked this question all the time when we're asked, we're talking about drafts. How, how do you feel about this international class as a whole? Like, how does it stack up to a typical class? Is it stronger or weaker? And are there, I mean, since it's kind of an open secret as to who's going to land most of these players already, uh, much like you, teams are already working on 2020 and 2021, and you could probably tell us who signed the 2020 guys already. Which couple teams do you think are poised to make the, the biggest splash in this market this year? Um, so, I guess I'll start by saying all 30 teams are in. And that is not something I've been able to say for the past day. <laughs> the Orioles or so are that in I've covered. <laughs> yeah, the, the Orioles. Orioles. Crazy. Yeah, the, the Orioles have, a, you know, a new international director, a new staff. They're still, you know, trying to figure out um, their approach and the players they're assigning. But I've, I have seen more Orioles scouts at international events in the past two months that I have seen in a decade. And I know it sounds funny and it sounds like a joke, but it's not. The Orioles are are making themselves known. You you cannot go to an event and not see an Oriole guy and that an Oriole scout. And that was not always the case. You know, they just I'm not sure whatever the philosophy was, but they they were just were not a presence there. So the Orioles are in, all 30 teams are in. Um, the pool money makes it competitive so each team only has a certain amount you can spend you can't go over that amount so you know if you're a general manager you have to be in an international market it's not like you can automatically you can't ignore minor league free agents you can't ignore the trade deadline or you know free agents during the offseason it's the same way you cannot ignore ignore the international game because these are guys you're going to put into your system and you hope and you dream that one day you will get a Fernando Tatis, you will get a Vlad, but you could get some guys that fill out your minor league roster. You could get guys who will, you know, you can trade as part of a package for a big leaguer to, you know, push you over the edge. Um, so you're going to see teams, the traditional teams are always busy. Uh, Yankees, Dodgers, Rangers, um, Oakland A's. I mean, it's hard to like really pick out which team the Cubs are also busy because we're are in an era now where general managers are recognizing how important the international market is. So everybody's in. And because if you are not in, you are missing out. No, definitely. One thing I was curious about Jesse is, you know, we're seeing it definitely at the professional level. We're also seeing it at the draft level, you know, with all the, 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 the tech and the data, the teams are placing a lot of importance on our teams doing that as well with the international players. It would almost seem like that would be very valuable, you know, to have that kind of data because there's so much projection involved with a 15 year old, with a 16 year old, how are teams applying data and to what extent, you know, with the international players? You know, great question, Jim. So over the past year and a half, I have seen more advanced technology, whether it's you know electronically timing these guys during the 60-yard run, or whether it's a track man or those you know those uh, high-speed cameras that slow everything down, um, these things you know there's power plates where they can measure the strengths of their legs. Um, almost everything. It reminds me of seeing some of these events 
in on the domestic side, whether it's like a you know international, I mean a national tournament or some type of showcase where you know USA Baseball and Major League Baseball have kind of combined to you know share their technology. And what I see is those same techniques are being implemented on the international side in showcases. And I know clubs themselves, some clubs do more than others, just kind of the same way here the 30 big league teams do on domestic side. So they're really focusing on following these guys, um, using as much technology as they can to create um, the most accurate pitcher they can. Because I, I think everybody's honest with themselves and they understand how difficult it is to project what a 16-year-old kid is going to be in the future. I mean, I remember talking to Fernando Tatis about it, Fernando Tatis Jr. about it, and he said, you know, what they do is they kind of they measure our tools, but we are not quite fully grown yet. So I understand, you know, different perspectives, how some teams can really love a player and other teams can have doubts because we're still developing into our bodies. And so I think what clubs are using with this advanced technology is trying to eliminate some of those questions, just trying to get as accurate measurement as they can right now but also with the understanding that things change because these kids are still developing. They're still growing. Um, they haven't developed into their full bodies yet. And, uh, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. So what you see now is you know, more advanced technology to get measurements. You're seeing these kids play in more game situations, more tournaments kind of thing. Major League Baseball through their trainer partnership program has just created a, uh, a kind of a regional tournament in the Dominican Republic where, the top prospects from each region play against each other. They're going to play in a championship game sometime after the draft. And I, you're seeing more of that. And at the team academies, they're implementing, you know, they use their own track man. They're using different tests just to get an accurate gauge of who these kids are because the reality is it is so competitive. There's only a limited amount of money you can spend on these prospects. So you want to make the right decision or the best decision you can make. So just like big league GMs, they're you, they're just trying to get all the information and uh, you know make the smart decision. Jesse, before we let you go, it, you know it's interesting you bring this up and that kind of you know, puts all the teams on a maybe a, a more equal footing, and also maybe makes it at least slightly easier to compare what I always thought was sort of more apples to oranges, and that's the international players and those in the domestic draft, mostly because of, as you said, the, as you mentioned, the, the age difference. Uh, there's long been talk uh, or desire of some to put everything together into one big pot and have a huge international draft. Where, where do you think things stand on, on that? And do you think, uh, I mean, I guess it's two things. You know, would you like to see that happen? And do you think it's uh, a possibility? You know, I think uh, you know Commissioner Manfred is pretty. He's been pretty open about um, his desire for you know equal fair entry for everybody, for whether it's domestic or whether it's the international side. And I think there's there's definitely some proponents of that. Um, I'm not sure how it's going to work out because when you say an international draft, you it's not just the Dominican Republic, it's not just Venezuela. Uh, you have Japan, you have Mexico, you have a bunch of different you know, countries and uh, interest and just the systems, the way things operate. But I think ultimately, whether it's trainers, whether it's players, whether it's teams, 
I think everybody's just kind of looking for an equal opportunity, um, equal compensation, and just being treated fairly across the board. And, and it's hard to argue that on either side um, when people are talking about a possible international draft. I mean, could it happen? I'm not sure. Maybe. I mean, right now we're under the system created during the current you know, collective bargaining agreement, and maybe these are conversations that we'll have for the next CBA but, uh, you know, ultimately, I think it's, you know, it's been the commissioner's desire in the past. And I think, uh, you know, I think if there's an equal system that benefits all parties and, uh, you know, continues to grow the game, because ultimately that's what it's about. You know, this uh, I always tell people, you know, it's our America's favorite pastime. It's our pastime, but it belongs to the world. And, uh, you know, I think if, if there's a system out there that, you know, creates fair and equal footing for everybody, I mean, uh, why not? Well, Jesse, excellent stuff as always. Fantastic work on the top 30 list. And uh, then really appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to break it all down with us. We look forward to more coverage, especially as July 2nd uh, comes to us and these guys all sign. And as always, you will be uh, on top of all of it. So thanks very much for, for taking some time out with us today. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. All right. Great stuff from, from, from Jesse, as always. Uh, Jim, he is all over it. Uh, you know, we, we're so focused on the domestic draft, but obviously we've heard this talk about, you know, an international draft. Personally, I've always been uh, concerned mostly about just the, the logistics of it and putting a, uh, you know, even though it seems to be the same thing, scouting amateur players and bringing new talent in, I always thought it was kind of square peg in a round hole kind of thing. I, I feel like it's moving closer to something that is attainable, although I'm I, I'm not exactly sure how I feel about that. I'm curious, like what what do you think? Do you think do you think it's doable? Is it a good idea? I think I, I've I've always joked I would hate to be the guy in charge of logistics for an international draft. Um, yeah, I'm still confused as to what form exactly it would take. I I, I don't see. I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around the concept of putting. 16 year old, you know, Dominican players in a draft with 18 year old high school players and 21 year old college players. I think that would be, I, I just think they're too different and it would be goofy. And then I also think that would beg some questions. Well, if a 16 year old Dominican can be in the draft, then why did 17 year old Bryce Harper have to go to a junior college and graduate high, you know, high school as a sophomore with a GED. So I guess I'm skeptical that we'll ever have one united draft. Could we eventually get to the point where we have a, a, a separate international draft? I guess we could. Um, you know, I don't, you know, MLB got cost control over international signings, which is something they really wanted. I don't know if the draft would really give you that much more. Or just they give it to you in a different form. Um, so we'll see. But it, man, I just I, I also just can't imagine teams having to scout like, you know, like your, your top decision makers who have to see the guys you're going to take with your top picks trying to add, you know, going all over the place internationally in April and May to trying to figure out the domestic draft guys as well. So it's it would, uh, it, it, yeah, that's true. I didn't even, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Like if you're a scouting director, uh, you know, how, how do you compare, you know, otherwise, how do you compare Jason Dominguez to Adley Rushman? I mean, how do you? How do you decide? Um, that's a that's a very good point. So, 
We'll, we'll wait and see how that transpires. Obviously, we're we're just going to continue our work on the domestic draft right now. Our top 100 came out not long ago. Uh, we're furiously uh, working the phones uh, for our uh, to expand to top 200, uh, and also our mock drafts. Uh, Jim, you know your first mock came out on Friday. Uh, I think it was Friday. Uh, the days start to blur together. Uh, People didn't check it out. They yeah, should. Your top five uh, was Adley Rushman uh, to the Orioles, Bobby Witt Jr. to the Royals, um, C.J. Abrams to the White Sox, Andrew Vaughn to the Marlins, and Riley Green to the Tigers. Um, anything looking at that top five that you would change right now based on some, anything you've heard. And yes, I'm asking because I'm working on my <laughs> mock right now and I will steal your information. Well, I, I, will, I, will, I will flip the question back around on you. I <laughs> have been scrambling and I, I am yeah. uh, in, in stress slash panic mode a little bit trying to get on top of the my half of the, the expansion to 200. So I have not asked anybody about who's going where since I filed that mock draft uh, I think last Thursday evening. So, yeah. um, no, I mean, I, 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 you and I have talked about it a little. I mean, I think I won't claim to have read every mock, but it seems like most mocks have Rutschman going one, Bobby Witt Jr. going two. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I think that's been kind of the consensus, not that those are set in stone by any means. You know, I, I think I had C.J. Abrams at three. I think most people have had Andrew Vaughn there which I think is certainly possible. And I've been thinking Andrew Vaughn there since December. It, you know, they, it, it's early. Things are going to shake out. I went C.J. Abrams at three on the thinking that you could argue that the White Sox have drafted a lot of corner bats in the first round recently. Jake Berger could wind up after blowing out his Achilles going from third base to first base. I still think if Zach Collins, who was the number 10 overall pick a few years ago, is an everyday player in the big leagues at a defensive position, it's more likely first base than catcher. And I just don't know, are the White Sox going to take Andrew Vaughn, even though he's the best hitter in the draft, and add him to that mix? I mean, you can only play so many first-base DH types. They don't have a lot of up-the-middle guys, if you look at their system. Like, most of their best position players are corner guys. And that's why I went with C.J. Abrams. But um, So that that's, I guess, not where I'm second-guessing myself. Yeah. But if I was doing a mock this week, not that I wouldn't kick the tires on one and two, but I would probably begin my efforts with trying to decide what I wanted to do at three and go from there, if that makes sense. Yes. No, it, it does. And and I'm not going to give away what I'm putting on, on my mock, which will be out on Friday. Uh, but I, I more or less did the same thing. I, I, I toyed with, uh, I've been toying with the very top. Um, but the more I think about it, the more there isn't enough substantial uh, evidence and I use that term loosely at, at this stage, we both know that there's no real evidence right now in terms of who's going to take who, but the, for, for the Orioles not to take Adley Rushman, I, I just don't see it. I know they like Bobby Witt a lot. Um, I think there's the possibility and, you know, Mike Elias was with the Astros and they kicked the tires on, you know, 18 different scenarios, you know, involving some making some deals and doing this and doing that. And don't didn't necessarily settle on who they were taking until last minute, and that might be the same thing. Even if some of it's posturing, it, it doesn't really matter. But I don't think I'm going to change too much uh, at the very, very top. Um, 
I, I, yeah, I mean, I think the only thing uh, I will say is that I I, I think I'm sneaking uh, J.J. Bladé from Vanderbilt into the top five, and you had him at six. So it's not like there's some like, huge change uh, you know, go, going on there. So Yeah, and um, I was just going to say with that, Jonathan, I mean, I think like if I had put Vaughn three, four would have come down to Abrams and Bladé. And I think you could mm-hmm. also make a case, and I, I haven't dug, <clears throat> that if, let's say, the White Sox, you, you know, it's, it's funny because you write mocks, and like I've my blown up on Twitter, White Sox says, oh, they're clearly taking Vaughn. You know, they always take college guys. Yeah, they always take a guy. So they're always going to take the same demographic forever. Sure. Right. But I do think you, <laughs> could, you could make a case. And, and, and like, I think Andrew Vaughn's the best all around hitter in the draft. So I, I really like Andrew Vaughn. But if you didn't want to go first base only, you could make a case that if the White Sox were going to go with a college position player, even though he's another corner outfielder and they have a bunch of them, that you could go for J.J. Bladé. Because J.J. Bladé is probably right there with Andrew Vaughn as an all-around hitter in the college yep. ranks. You know, this is a guy who could really hit. People want to see, will the power come? It started to come a little bit in the Cape Cod League with Wood Bats this last year, and now he's competing for the NCAA home run league. So it has. So, um, you know, if you told me Bladé goes as high as, as three or four or five, um, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I'll tell you, and and you can, I mean, I know you're still working on it, so we're not giving anything away. You you have no final answers. How high, what are you going to do with the college pitching? I mean, we keep talking about what a what a bad year this is for college yep. pitching. There, there's, there's maybe six college pitchers who are consensus first rounders to use consensus maybe a little bit loosely. And that's counting a junior college guy as a college pitcher. Most of them come with at least some kind of question mark or red flag. And then the top two guys got together last night, last night, last Friday, Nick Lodolo and Alex Manoa, Alec Manoa pitched against each other and neither was at their sharpest. And Nick Lodolo has, has not been great in the last month. How do you see, say the first, what order do you see the first three college pitchers? Well, I'll say four, because let's throw Zach Thompson in there. Who's been probably the most sure. consistent, but also has medical questions. So if you, right. you have Lodolo, Manoa, Rutledge, Zach Thompson, I think they're all going to probably go somewhat close to each other. They're going to, I think we'll have a hitters at the top and the pitchers will go, but how do you see those pitchers shaking out? Uh, uh, as of right now, uh, I have those four, the order that you just listed them in. I have them in that order. Well, I have, no, I have Lodolo, Rutledge, Manoa, Thompson in that order. I'm not saying which teams, right. um, but I, and I th- then I think the interesting thing is that the high school arms, uh, which tend to settle lower anyway, um, as of right now, I don't have one going in the top 15 picks. And I didn't, I so, had Matthew Allen um, going 16 was my top high school. We're going to be in the same, we're going to be in the same ballpark. I'm going to mention him a little bit earlier. Um, you know, so there's, there's some interesting things. So before we move on to let's say, I wanted to ask you one, one sort of quick thing, because this is always a fun one to do with the caveat, knowing that, you know, when we do these early mocks, we're not digging super, super deep, especially at like the tail end of the first round and, and, and thing, things of that nature. But what name was brought up to you as it's, oh, I'm hearing, even if it was just from one guy that you talked to, oh, I'm here. this guy could sneak into the first round that surprised you the most. I'm going to think about that for a second. Yeah, that's fine. Um, scanning our list here. You know, I... I don't know if it's a surprise. Like, like <laughs> whenever I hear surprise, like, I don't know if this happens to you. Like, we do so much draft work. It's not like somebody says, hey, uh, 
you know, we're going to take Jonathan Mayo's kid in the first round. And I'm like, what? Like, I mean, we, we, we that would be insane. No, I, had, I, I haven't heard that. Uh, so you're, you're probably gonna have to pay the full boat for college, but, um, yeah, that's all right. Um, but you know, so it's like, you've heard all the names. I mean, I think like the lowest ranked player on our list, and I'm sure there will be a lower ranked one because it, it's early and guys will change. But the lowest ranked player on our list, who I think I got the most first round support for, if I said that clearly, would be Greg Jones at UNC Wilmington. Um, not that he's a lock first rounder. He's number 48 on our list. There's 34 picks in the first round. But he's got first round type of tools. He's got game changing speed. He's got solid arm strength. He's a switch hitter with bat speed. And, he, and he's got, you know, probably average raw power. Um, so it's an interesting package. You know, there are some questions about his ability to remain at shortstop. There's some questions, I think, about his ability to hit consistently and how much power that he, how much of his power he's going to get to. But. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a, a 30, you know, he's like like all 30 teams wouldn't necessarily consider him a guy that they take in the first round. But I do think the teams that are really heavy into tools, like, you know, tools over, he's not having a bad year, but let's say you're further toward the tool spectrum than the performance track record spectrum, that, that Greg Jones could go in the first round. How, how about you? What, what's the most surprising name? Well, not surprising because you actually you had him go uh, at the at the very you know close to the very end of yours. Gunnar Henderson uh, seems to have an up arrow next to his name, uh, yeah. and I've heard his name kind of mentioned in a bunch of places higher than I would have thought, uh, like in the late teens. Um, I don't know that I buy that. I think the name that I heard that sort of was the most interesting um, was. Uh, uh, shoot, what's his name? Uh, Davis Wenzel. When, Wenzel Wenzel. Wenzel. The, the, Baylor, the Baylor. The Baylor. Here's Thursday. the way you remember. I actually think he's kind of a. I, I'm not saying he's nearly as good. I think he's kind of a poor man's Nick Senzel. Senzel. You can remember oh. Wenzel. Davis Wenzel. All right, excellent. And the, the the thing that gets tricky about that, of course, is that he is not the only player uh, at Baylor. Um, so with Shea Langoliers, the the catcher, people are going to scout him as well. Uh, but in, I was talking to someone today who uh, who said that they were fairly certain that there was a team sort of late in the first round. Yeah, obviously they're checking out Langoliers, uh, but they don't necessarily think he's going to be there. That they thought they were really uh, interested in in Wenzel. So it's interesting. I I, I'll tell you why I, I love got that. I love that because he's one of my favorite players in the draft. <laughs> and when we did our top 100, we actually got feedback. Although a lot of our feedback was that most of the guys on the list were ranked too high. I think it's that kind of right. draft, but like, I don't see why this guy couldn't go in the first round. I don't think he's a lock first rounder, but you're talking about a guy who can definitely hit. He's hitting for more power this year. He's more athletic than you think. He, he's got, you know, average speed underway. He's really good instincts on the bases and he's a good defensive third baseman. So I think you're talking, about a guy, like I said, he he's not Nick Senzel, but just like with Nick Senzel, when he was the number two overall pick in the draft, it was easy to, to get caught up in the bat. And I think people underrated the rest of Nick Senzel's game. I mean, at the time, yeah. I wouldn't have said, yeah, that guy can play center field in the big leagues. But Nick Senzel's got really good tools across the board. And I think Davis Wenzel is the same thing. The bat is, is what sticks out the most. But 
Like he can do a little bit of everything and he plays a good third base. So I, I kind of like him as a sleeper first round pick. So yeah, I, just, I may, I may, I may sneak him in, especially after the suck. So then I guess my question for you, because uh, the last uh, uh, topic I think that we, we need to talk about um, for, for this week uh, is we had said we were going to talk about uh, a player, not like in our, you know, the top 34 or so, you know, quote unquote, surefire first round type that we liked the most. Was Wenzel the guy you were going to talk about? He was, I, I can come up with another one, but uh, yeah, he, right. he, he would have been the one that I thought was like, not underrated, but like, I just, I, I just really like him. <laughs> so why you're, yeah, I was going to say why you're coming up with another one. All my dogs. Uh, absolutely. Um, it is amazing. Well, one of, one of my, my our, our newer puppy isn't here. So I think that's helping the noise factor. Um, uh, uh, Keone Cavico is the guy that I want to talk about, who is, you know, major pop-up guy, uh, has really been growing. You stuck him at 33 to the Diamondbacks uh, in, in your mock. I will almost certainly have him somewhere in that sort of back end of the of the first round. And this was a guy who just sort of was like missed uh, on the summer showcase circuit. They just, he, he plays uh, at a school at East Lake High School in Chula Vista. It's not like, it's not an easy place to get to. The competition isn't great. And people just kind of missed on him overall. And then he uh, kind of, it all started in the fall. The Angels do this elite showcase. So he went to, uh, you know, the big league stadium and um, he was hitting balls into the, the fake rocks, you know, out in left center or wherever that is, an Angel Stadium. And he's like, he's got tools. He, you know, he can run going to be a really good third baseman. There's good power there. The only thing there isn't is a ton of track record against the high level of competition, except for the fall. Uh, it's not that the competition he faces during the spring is, is bad. He's not, he's not facing the players that my son is facing here in Pittsburgh. Um, but, uh, but it's not the same as some other areas in Southern California. So people have been pouring in to see him. And the thing is, that seems to be happening is that the more people see him, the more they like him. It's not the, you know, the, the gloss isn't, isn't wearing off. If anything, it's, it's gotten better. So uh, there are a lot of teams that like him. And I think there might be, there may be some teams that pick sort of anywhere from the middle of the first round on down who thought, well, maybe we could get him if they have a comp picker in the second round who are going to discover that he's not going to be there. So maybe they decide to take him um, instead. So uh, he's a really, really interesting guy to me. Yeah, no, he, he is. And, and like when I, you mentioned when I was doing my mock, I mean, I, I think there are more people like him. He'll probably continue to rise up boards a little bit. Um, you know, guys who can hit get drafted high, and, and he's impressed on the high school side. I, I guess my, my, my backup choice, since Davis Wenzel has already been discussed, uh, I, I'm a sucker for projectable high school pitchers. I don't know where this guy will get drafted because of the signability. I do think Blake Walston out of North Carolina, New Hanover High School, which is Trot Nixon's alma mater. Uh, he's a lefty. I, I do think this guy could easily be a first-round pick in three years if he if he goes to NC State. Um, you know, the signability, we'll see where he goes this year. But, I mean, he's 6'4". He's listed at like 172, so he could put on a lot of strength. And, you know, the velocity, as you would imagine, with that build isn't consistent at this point, but you see him on the right day, 
and he can sit at 90, 93 for a few innings. Um, there's more velocity to come. He's got nice feel for spinning the ball. Uh, curveball's got great depth to it. Uh, needs more velocity. He also has some feel for slider. He'll flash a changeup. He's super athletic. He was, I, th- I think he led the, the state of North Carolina in passing yards as a junior, a star quarterback. So I, I kind of, I kind of like the, the idea of what Blake Walston can become, whether, the present stuff, you know, the, the, it's always tough with these high school pitchers when you have a gap between the present stuff and what their projection can be when you have a, when you have a large gap. Um, so we'll see if he goes high enough to sign. But uh, you know, hope, we'll, we'll dust this this podcast off in three years when we're projecting him as a, a first round pick in 2022 if he winds up uh, making it uh, to NC State. Yeah, I, I I I'm a big fan of projectable left-handers. There aren't you, you don't get that many of them. And that's kind of fun. One of the things I found interesting over the years, and you know, people by now know that we 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 split up the country and all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't hone in on guys. Is that you know, baseball and the high school baseball in North Carolina isn't always like that great. I think that's something you know. Has that been something that is he not facing great competition? So it's hard to measure him up against you know guys who are playing in some of the you know the bigger leagues in Florida or Texas or California. Um, I mean, I think there's some of that. I don't think there's a ton of, uh, I think with Walsh in particular, he just wasn't a big showcase guy because he played football. You know, he's quarterback for his team. And, and the team won a state championship his junior too. So I, I just don't, I think that's where he suffers. I mean, I, I don't think my, 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 my prospect obsession, you know, Mackenzie Gore necessarily faced unbelievable competition when he was coming out. So you just kind of have to take him in the context. And, you know, the difference was, you know, you'd seen Gore some on the, on the showcase circuit, you know, Blake Walston was kind of a, an unknown, uh, you know, unknown coming into the year. Like I, I'm looking, if I remember correctly, I think McGinn, McKenzie Gore was at the one, a level and new Hanover and Walston are at the three, a level. So I think he's probably faced better competition if I'm remembering all that correctly. But okay. um, again, you know, it's just, you, you didn't get to see Blake Walston last summer facing Reese Hines and Bobby Wood Jr. and CJ Abrams at events to see how he do against them. So he, he's a little bit more anonymous. Right. And always should be remembered as we close things out. I think there were similar things said about Madison Bumgarner and the fact that they didn't think he had a breaking ball. That's turned out okay. So who knows? Maybe 10 years from now, we'll be talking about Blake Walston. Uh, in, in the same thing. And with that ridiculous comparison, I think we will wrap things up. I think we managed to uh, keep ourselves afloat uh, without, uh, without Jordan to, to help us at the helm. Uh, Jim, always a pleasure. Now get back to making calls for the top 200. All right. I have to do a quick radio show uh, to talk about uh, uh, the Braves in the draft. And then I will be back on the phone. You are the king of all prospect media. Uh, That's Jim Callis. I'm Jonathan Mayo. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Pipeline Podcast.